It was a dark and stormy night. I mean, actually it was. It was a dark and stormy night a couple of months back. I was leaving Cornwall Church, headed home down in Skagit County. And as I'm driving down Interstate 5, I get a note, a text on my smartphone that says, wind, high wind advisory for the next couple of hours. And I remember thinking, well, we get these all the time. So I clear it off my phone. But as I got into our neighborhood, the giant evergreen trees that surround our neighborhood were swaying to and fro. I get to our driveway and I see our garbage can that had been set out for the next morning had toppled over. I get into our living room and I peer out the back window and I see our trampoline is still there, but a major storm is evidently on the way. And then the rain started. It was a good pelting downpour with instant puddles on the patio. And next, the lights began to flicker. And soon after, the power went out. Now, we hadn't prepared for losing power, so our family of four immediately began a scavenger hunt around the house, trying to collect every possible flashlight that we owned. And it wasn't long before we had a pile of flashlights on our dining room table, ranging from a pocket flashlight to a camping crank flashlight to one of those giant mag light flashlights. But our celebration, it was short-lived because one by one, click by click, we realized every flashlight was dead. And it was in that moment the obvious became very apparent. Light is critical in the dark. Light is critical in the dark. And actually, that's exactly the point of the parable we're going to look at as we have this final parable in this series, The Puzzle of Parables. And if we think back to week one, when Pastor Bob would lay the groundwork for this series, we remember Jesus used parables, stories with illustration and moral and a point to alter our Christian living in order that we might change how we live based on what we learn through the parable teaching of Jesus. And I would offer you this. I don't think it's a coincidence we will end this series with this parable. In other words, all the parables we've looked at culminate with this final calling from Jesus, the how-to, the application. And it's this. It's simply this. Based on all you've learned, be light. Be light. This parable found in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke is one of Jesus' shortest parables and simplest parables, yet one of the most profound and life-transforming, and it's simply this, the lamp on the stand. Now, in Mark's Gospel, he would write it this way. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Luke's gospel would write it this way. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that, so that those who come in can see the light. Two different authors, but one very simple, common-sense illustration. And while one could read this as, this is sarcastic Jesus... I would offer that when you read this through the lens of Jesus teaching through parables, I think we're simply hearing sensical Jesus. Now first, Jesus always ensured that the parable was relatable. 
all those listening would have understood his reference, a common everyday lamp on a stand. And this lamp would have consisted of a small pitcher or saucer with a handle on the end, and in the pitcher would be filled with oil, and on the oil would be placed a floating wick. It also would have been understood that this lamp was A, necessary in the dark, and B, its placement was critical. In order to maximize the light from that lamp, it would have to be placed on a lampstand or up high or on the wall where light could spread across the room and for all those in the room. So for obvious reasons, no one would think to place that lamp under a basket, under a bowl, under a bed, under a bushel, because you wouldn't have light. It wouldn't have purpose. A contemporary translation might have it go this way. Don't bake a cake and then not eat it. Don't register for college and then not go to class. Don't own a cell phone and don't make calls. Or don't buy a Christmas tree and then not decorate it. So at this point, I can't help but wonder, was someone there in the crowd, maybe a disciple kind of scratching their head going, okay, Jesus, so what you're saying is, don't light the lamp and then hide it. We got it. I actually think we have time for another parable. I, I wonder if, if they're thinking, this is too easy, this is too simplistic. But sometimes the most obvious command is the most difficult to apply. And I think over our time together, you'll see there's a lot to unpack in this very short and simple parable. In fact, for some, this parable and the calling to Christ followers is one of the most challenging and in some cases, high stress inducing. You see, Jesus's directive to not light a lamp and hide it is about far more than a decorative wall display in your living room. And in fact, it's actually in Matthew's gospel that we get the best, most complete version of this parable teaching. You see, Matthew will parallel what Mark and Luke say, and some. He writes this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Matthew's declaration brings both clarity and confusion in this more illustrative telling of the parable. Now, he too includes some of that lamp under the bowl commentary, but notice what he leads with. You are the light of the world. Well, is Jesus the light of the world? I mean, he says so himself, John 8, 12, I, Jesus, am the light of the world. But hang on, if, if Jesus is telling the parable and he's saying you're the light of the world, well then, are we the light? Charles Spurgeon would once say this, the Bible is not the light of the world, it is the light of the church. The world does not read the Bible, the world reads Christians. Therefore, you are the light of the world. Suddenly, a, a very simplistic parable got a little bit confusing. Is Jesus the light? Am I the light? And the answer is yes. But there's so much more to it. Jesus is the light. And, and as Pastor Kip would say, if you get anything from this message, get that. 
Jesus is the light, the single brightest, most brilliant, vivid illumination of light this world has or ever will see. He's the definition of light, the origination of light, the incarnation of light. And while our eyes on this side of heaven have yet to see it, there are plenty of references in Scripture where we see evidence of this truth. Mark 9, for example, recording the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountainside. Mark would record this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a mountain where they were all alone. It was there he transfigured before them. And get this description. His clothes became dazzling white, intensely whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Regardless of the translation you look at, the idea is the same. Whiter than white, brighter than bright is how Jesus was before them. So here in this parable or in anywhere in Scripture, when there's a reference to the light of the world, make no mistake, all roads lead to Jesus. Okay, so if Jesus is the light, where does that leave us? What's our responsibility I think we're called to be light reflectors. We're called to be light reflectors. In other words, if Jesus is the light, we then, like a mirror, are called to reflect him. That might seem deceivingly simple, but this would have been a major challenge to these early first Christians. They were cruelly persecuted for having such a bold faith they would have faced the decision of having to hide their lamp under cover as to not risk being tortured or imprisoned or worse, killed. This would have been a real-time, real-life decision of application for them. Now, grateful, we don't have that same ramification for our faith today. Doesn't make it any easier at times. You see, being a reflector of the light of Jesus should be challenging. It should be convicting. And on our faith journey, it should be a good faith-stretching challenge. A challenge for all those that follow Jesus. For all who understand that for this to work, I've got to decrease so that Christ can increase. And all means all. It includes all people, all imperfect people. Everyone with mistakes and failures and faith missteps, you too are called to be a light reflector. God, in his unmeasurable wisdom, God in his goodness and grace, chooses us to reveal Jesus by our reflecting his light to a lost and dying world. Pastor Craig Dennison would write this in a blog I used to think God wanted to reveal perfection in me, he writes, that I had to act perfectly in order to demonstrate Christ. What I didn't realize is the greatest revelation I could give a broken and needy world is that God, through the immeasurable depth of his love, meets me in my brokenness and continually makes me whole. I realized that God, only by his grace, is taking what was lost and weak and selfish and lonely and filling it with unimaginable love and security 
through a restored relationship with him. God doesn't want you to reveal perfection. He wants you to reveal the fact that you're in perfection. He loves you still with an everlasting love. You know, the more I settle into who God is, the more I am convinced it becomes clear that despite who I am and what I bring to the table, he wants to use me for his plan and his purpose. God wants to use me, Brian, the sinner, to reflect his son in order that people that don't know Jesus might see Jesus in me. And he's less interested in the Bible memorizing, small group leading, worship singing, youth group leading, pastor at Cornwall Church, and way more interested in Brian, the guy who's doing his best to get it right. I mean, several weeks ago, Pastor Kip shared in his message, our job is to reflect Jesus as we live in the tension of a fallen world. That's our job to reflect Jesus as best we can in this world we temporarily call home. I mean, the world is already skeptical. The world begins at a skeptic's point of view. So imagine the paradigm shift when they see imperfect Christ followers shine an imperfect, authentic need for Jesus and a reflection from Jesus despite that imperfection and the evidence of work in their lives. I would offer this. They are posed more than anyone else to shine the light of Jesus in a way to make life-changing impact. Those that have received the light of Jesus, we're called to not conceal it and hold on to it. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't want you to hold on to what he's given you. He wants you to shine it to anyone and everyone. He tells this parable of a lamp on a stand to encourage his followers to be an example. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, this is married up to the salt and light message. Be different. Stand out. And if we get this right, the world will see Jesus in our reflection. I love what Dwight Moody will say on this exact topic. Check this out. We are told to let our light shine. And if it does, we don't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. In other words, when we get this right... People won't see you or me or how great we are or how not great we are. They'll see Jesus in us without any pomp and circumstance. And Jesus will remain the subject. So one, Jesus is the light. Two, we are called to reflect that light. But wait, there's more. Jesus here speaks to to his light and our calling This answers the who, but Jesus also addresses the where and the what. In Matthew's gospel, he continues. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, sometimes as Christians, I'm sure we'd like to have an on and off switch, but there isn't one. We are just consistently on. 
We are on in how we talk and how we act and how we speak and how we reflect Jesus as Christians. I mean, if there was an on and off switch, we would get high marks for when we came to church. But how about the times uh, through the week, you know, when you're behind that slow driver that goes five miles under the speed limit and you are exasperated to the nth degree. Or maybe you're running late to work and your barista was extra chatty that day and you just want the coffee so you can go. Or maybe you're at a restaurant and that waiter just isn't catching the hint that you'd like a little more water in your glass. Or you find yourself on the sidelines of a sporting event and you're just, your patience is, is out, you're exasperated. You see, in the first half of this verse, Jesus is issuing a reminder that where and what you shine matters. The what and where on where you shine light, it matters. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Bob shared quite vulnerably from this stage, and good news, he wasn't fired. And so today, I actually want to, I actually don't want to, today I'm going to follow his lead. As a rule, I don't love being the subject of my own sermon illustration, but when the shoe fits. I love my kids. Shauna and I have two incredible, amazing children, Alyssa and Dylan. And along with being smart and and kind and loving with great friends, God has blessed them with um, athletic ability. Dylan is our soccer player, Alyssa our volleyball player. And Shauna and I have loved supporting them in their self-selected sports of choice. But it has become apparent in the last year or so that sometimes I am not the best at being a bleacher sideline dad. Sometimes put away your stones, okay? In this one instance, maybe a month ago, we were attending one of Alyssa's volleyball games, and we knew this was going to be a tough match. Uh, soon after Alyssa, or sorry, Shauna and, and Dylan and I found our seats uh, in the bleachers, warm-ups were done, and, and the first serve occurred, and our team was holding its own until they weren't. And it was around then, according to 10-year-old Dylan, that I forgot whose light I was shining. You see, over the course of that set, Dylan would nudge me and say things like, Dad, don't, don't say that. Dad, say something encouraging. Dad, Alyssa's looking at you. Smile. Dad, stop shaking your head. It's important to understand and highlight what changed. See, Jesus didn't change. My reflection of Jesus changed. See, that night I forgot that I was called to reflect the light of Jesus in that gymnasium to Alyssa, to her teammates, and to the parents around me. Where we are and what we do are critical in how we reflect Jesus because, yes, we are always on. Now, is this impossible? No. Is it challenging? Yes. Is it faith-growing? You bet. Jesus is saying, as you shine my light, remember, you're shining before others all the time, everywhere, intentionally and unintentionally. 
Jesus is and was making the case to shine his light in your life will require a paradigm shift on how we talk and how we act. If I'm being honest, I have remained convicted about that moment on that night at that volleyball game since it happened. I wish I could go back and do it again. I wish I could have a moment to better reflect Jesus to those parents around me wondering why Alyssa's dad was losing his mind. I wish I wasn't an example of how not to reflect Jesus. I wish that my son didn't have to remind his dad how to be a light. You see, where and what you shine matters. And yeah, pastors get it wrong too. But I am so grateful for the chance to try again and again and again. And it's in that transparency that people can see the grace of God for me and Jesus in me, an imperfect person. Now, don't get this wrong. That's not a pass. We don't get to say, well, that just happened, or well, God's bigger than all of that, or well, that's just who I am. Instead, it's an assurance that He will use me. He will use you despite those missteps and those failures. So we're called to let our light shine before others. Why? So that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, the second half of the verse here speaks to the what we shine. Now, for some, this could be a trigger of sorts because you hear the idea of being called to be seen for our good deeds and you correlate that to a faith by works, let me be really clear. That's not what Jesus is saying. Your good deeds are your actions, how you live out your faith, being patient when others are rude, kind when others are harsh, loving when others spew hate, calm when people have panic, living by faith when others live by fear. The good deeds being spoken of here is the light that, will, that God will use that causes others to see Jesus in you. Do these things so that what? Everyone will see and praise your Father in heaven. Somewhere in the 1900s, a musical score was attached to some lyrics to a song well-known in the church and beyond. You know the song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine until the battery is run out or someone actually asks me about my faith or someone talks to me about Jesus or I get too uncomfortable. Not the lyrics you grew up with, I'm sure. The words, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan, oops, sorry, COVID, blow it out. I'm going to let it shine all around my neighborhood. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Sometimes we forget how easy that can actually be. For our online campus here in western Washington and specifically in the vicinity of Cornwall Church in Bellingham, we have been hit with major storms. It is storming again today. And last week, the communities of Sumas, Everson, Concrete, Hamilton, Nooksack, just to name a few, were most affected. 
And it didn't take long for Cornwall Church to move into action. Actually, stop. Go back. Strike that. It didn't take long for attenders who call Cornwall Church their home to spring into action, to begin shining the light of Jesus through praying, serving, and financially giving. And not for their benefit, not for our benefit, not for our name, not for Cornwall Church, or for recognition, or for credit. People shining the light of Jesus to others, allowing their deeds, their actions, to point people to Jesus. We heard about a story of a woman who welcomed in a group of people into her home and where the living room once was was all mud and, and this group came in and before they began pulling drywall and carpet, they circled up to pray. We heard about two, uh, two guys who called Cornwall home and they were walking the streets asking God to direct them to the family that, that might need their help and they came across, God led them to a couple that had just moved to the area. This couple with kids had no community having just moved here. And these two guys were able to help them, meet them where they were, get belongings to storage, make dump runs. They even stayed in contact, got them some temporary housing. Also heard about another Cornwall attender who took 20-some dollars worth of quarters to the Everson laundromat on Main Street so that people who had flood-drenched clothing could get a free round of laundry done. And that's just three stories. There are countless more of people shining light on their own, not under the banner of Cornwall Church, donating resources, providing trailers and trucks and time. More than 1,100 people showed up at a couple of cleanup days. And Cornwall Church, I will say this, Last weekend, Pastor Kip made one ask of you. If, if you couldn't go out and help, or maybe you were online and you're out of the state but wanted to be part, after one weekend and one ask, you gave more than $28,000 to the Resilience Fund. Here's what's incredible. When we let our light shine before others, by doing good deeds in this way, the big C church gets a little bit smaller. And no one and no church and no denomination gets the credit and the light of Jesus gets a little bit brighter. You see, that's the call. That's the point of the parable. That's the same challenge that was given to those early first Christians that it is to us today. And when we take that seriously, there's really only one thing left to do to be an effective light bearer, and that is this. Identify what is dampening your light. Identify what in your life is dampening your light. In a world that will default always to darkness, Christ followers need to be acutely aware of the status of your light. I mean, think back to the last time you were house shopping. There were probably a lot of things important to you, checking out bedrooms and, and bathrooms and square footage and the layout. But I'm guessing at some point you looked around and said something like, I love the natural light in here. I love the canned lighting here. This room will need more light. It's critical for us to know what in us is dampening the light of Jesus in our lives. 
for that pile of flashlights on our dining room table, it was a lack of batteries. So what is it for you? I mean, if you were really honest with yourself, are you physically tired? Are you mentally burned out? Do you need to change your schedule or possibly realign your priorities? Is the company that you keep, are they draining you or filling you? Are you spiritually spent? Are you and Jesus connecting? Or if you're being really honest, have you been standing in the light instead of reflecting it? We've got to self-assess and identify what is preventing us from shining the light of Jesus and then take the steps to make a change. It's the idea from Hebrews 12.1, a reminder to lay aside, take off, put on the ground next to us every hindrance of sin that easily ensnares us so that we can run, or in this case, shine more effectively. This parable is key for the end of this series. It's a keystone to our faith. Jesus is the light. We are to reflect that light to everyone around as best we can. This parable perhaps caused you to feel pressure, but it actually should bring you peace and freedom and purpose. You see, as we settle in there, we can actually practice and reflect all we've learned in this parable series. This series is far more than just a collection of great short stories that all happen to have a moral. These are life lessons from the greatest teacher of all time, telling you how to live the life he's called you to. I mean, for example, when we identify which soil represents our lives, we can determine if we need replanting. And in the right soil, we'll flourish and will shine bright week one. Or a couple weeks later, when we recognize that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing or whatever you've done, you are still a treasure to Jesus. And that truth instills immeasurable value. And when people see that in you, reflected in you, it will open the door. They will ask how. They will ask why couple weeks later into the series, when we understand that God is just as concerned with the righteous as the unrighteous, it levels the playing field. It means the super spiritual and the farthest one away both have access to the love of Jesus, the same access, and that is a light worth shining. And just last weekend, Pastor Bob, from this stage, talking about the, the power of forgiveness and through the parable, how forgiveness is all about grace and how actually forgiveness sets you free. And when we humble ourselves enough to forgive, our light gets a little brighter and our reflecting of Jesus gets a little stronger. You see, Cornwall, when our faith journey finds a rhythm that acknowledges that God created you exactly as you are, Jesus is who he is unchanged, and you just need to show up willing to reflect Jesus. He will shine through you. Might we be like the Cape Lookout Lighthouse in North Carolina? Of the 700 operating lighthouses in the United States, 
the Cape Lookout Lighthouse in North Carolina holds a special distinction. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, the Cape Lookout Lighthouse is always on. By day, by night, the light, the lamp, it's always on. It's always shining. It's always reflecting light. You see, in the absence of light is darkness. In the absence of light is darkness. But the good news is that light will always pierce the darkness. Light will always pierce the dark. David would write in Psalm 18, 28, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. There is nothing stronger or brighter or greater and more illuminating than the light of Jesus. And he wants you to reflect his light in a very dark world. Imagine what Jesus might reveal to you and through you to a watching world. Remember, you are a light bearer. And Jesus, in his complete perfection, chooses to use you and me and those of you online in our imperfection to shine his light, to shine his light to those in the office and in our cul-de-sac and on the sidelines and to our barista and at family gatherings and in public conversations, in political conversations, in coffee shops, in Costco, in college campuses, on social media. The parable of the lamp tells us this. We have an obligation. We have received the gospel. It's our job now to live it openly and share it with anybody who will listen, especially as we enter this Christmas season. Let Jesus on the inside be seen on the outside through how it is you shine. Jesus did say in John 8, 12, I am am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, I am a light. He says, I am the light, definitive. There is none other. The one and only light for you and for me and the entire world. You are a light bearer. Perhaps it really is as simple as the song says. This little light of mine, will you let it shine?